0: Welcome to Well Connected with Dr. Joe Kavidar, a podcast series from Partners Connected Health. I'm your host, Joe Kavidar. Join me for interesting and thought-provoking conversations with the leaders, disruptors, and innovators who are redefining the future of technology-enabled health and wellness. We have a unique and exciting opportunity as we focus on the upcoming 2019 Connected Health Conference here in Boston. Partners Connected Health is honored to be the organizing partner for this world-class event, and I'm proud to serve as program chair. For this season of Well Connected, we're excited to bring you a special collection of episodes highlighting this year's keynote speakers. Each episode will not only feature a stimulating conversation with a noted thought leader, but will provide a sneak preview into their up-and-coming keynote presentation as well. I'm particularly excited to talk to our guest today, not only because her decades of work on understanding the how and why people engage with their health so clearly dovetails with my own work, but also because she's actually our first returning guest to the Well Connected podcast. She shared some terrific insights with us last year when I had the opportunity to interview her for our special Connected Health Conference mini season, and I'm looking forward to an equally engaging conversation today. Of course, I'm talking with Dr. Kyra Bobinet, CEO and founder of Engaged In, a neuroscience-based design firm devoted to cracking the code of why we engage in our health. She and her team use brain science to make products and communications more engaging, remove barriers between what people want to do and what they actually do. Last fall, Engaged In rolled out a behavior app for Walmart employees and customers to engage in healthy eating habits. Kyra has created health startups, Blockbuster products, health apps, big data algorithms, and evidence-based programs in mindfulness and metabolic medicine. She also co-teaches patient engagement and health design with Dr. Larry Chu at the Stanford School of Medicine. Kyra is the author of Well-Designed Life, 10 Lessons in Brain Science and Design Thinking for a Mindful, Healthy, and Purposeful Life. In her book, she shares what she has found to be the most useful concepts from decades of studying neuroscience and design thinking, with the goal of empowering others to change their own behavior and design the life they want to live. And something new since we last spoke to Kyra is her recently launched YouTube channel, The Dr. Kyra Show, Three Minutes of Behavior Change Every Tuesday. Look it up. Kyra received the 2015 Innovator Award from Harvard, where she earned her master's in public health. She received her medical degree at the University of California, San Francisco School of Medicine. I'm delighted that Kyra will be a keynote speaker at the 2019 Connected Health Conference hosted by HIMSS and Partners Connected Health, taking place here in Boston, October 16th through the 18th at the Seaport World Trade Center. Our conference theme, designing for healthy habits and better outcomes is a topic Kyra is extremely well-suited to speak about. Kyra, welcome to Well-Connected.
1: I am so thrilled to be here, Joe. Thank you.
0: When it comes to health engagement, you recommend being caring, authentic, and useful. Can you please talk a little bit about how you help people crack the code of how, what, and especially why we engage?
1: Yeah. So, you know, everything that that whole sentence comprises is my focus on the brain. You know, I, I arrived at the brain because, you know, I, duh, what, what else drives behavior? Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I was on this mission like behavior, behavior, this behavior, that. And and it really turns out that, um, you know, behavioral psychology, all those things are wonderful emanations of what's happening in the brain. It it, it sends off those signals. And so, you know, for me, caring, authentic and helpful is just an algorithm to help us stay in the right mindset towards what we're doing in caring for other people and and really trying to bring out of ourselves the greatest possible benefit of what we have to offer the world. And then, you know, what, why, how of engagement in our health is really about the brain. You know, if the brain's not with you, then you're, you're gone, and I'll give you an example. My my most recent endeavor is to learn a style of horsemanship uh, where you basically take the point of view. It's a very empathic view, and you're basically you know paying attention if the horse's mind is with you or not, because if they have a thought that goes outside. The round pen or, or outside the trail, then you're at risk, you know, because they're not with you. So the the training is always about bringing back, redirecting their brain back to being attentive in that moment uh, for that particular style of horsemanship, and it's safe. It's it's you know bonding. It creates greater relationship. And I think it's a great metaphor for what we're all trying to do in healthcare, which is to connect with and to stay with people who are facing all kinds of issues with their health.
0: So it sounds to me it's a little there's a little bit of discipline there. There's a little bit of focus. There's a little bit of. uh, uh kind of filtering out, almost like a mindfulness t- type of approach? Would well, that be correct? Yeah,
1: that, that's interesting because I would say there's almost two gears we have to pay attention to. There's mindfulness, and um, I was the one who kind of invented that at Aetna with Mark Berlini. Uh He took it forward, and, um, you know, I was really into the science of mindfulness as a better, more efficacious approach to you know, at the time, stress reduction programs that were very lame. And they would just ask you a bunch of questions, tell you a bunch of things. There's a lot of education. There a lot of reading, frankly, online. And then they would give you a end of program assessment where they would say, do you feel less stressed? And of course, you're you're going to say, uh, yeah, I guess so right now. You know, but it didn't give you any skills to live your life daily mm-hmm. in the moment. Uh, so mindfulness is a great practice for really shifting, you know, in a fundamental way, uh, your brain from a, you know, kind of you know, not paying attention mode to what's called executive control mode. And in that mode, you free yourself from some of the neuromachinery like the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex that causes rumination or that's participating in rumination and rumination then is known to cause uh, symptoms of depression and anxiety. So it's this release valve, right? Mindfulness is a release valve to do that. So training the brain to be able to on... Demand, go into that mode and stabilize in that mode is really, really helpful for people's health. Then there's mindlessness, and and that's where habits come in, but i'll I'll stop there for now. Just a little teaser.
0: Great. Well, uh, your research has focused on helping us avoid the pitfalls of self-defeat in all aspects of our lives, something I've always found to be uh, I mean, there, there's so many unique things about the work that you do, but that was that was one I've always cherished to remove self-blame and self-inflicted criticism. When we spoke in your last episode, you're I think the first person we've had on twice on our podcast, so cheers to that. But when we spoke on our last episode, you were sharing with our listeners the concept of an iterative mindset in reshaping the concept of failure. Can you talk a little bit about why the perception of failure is actually harmful to our health and the neurophysiological basis for demotivation?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, recent, more recent discovery is this area of the brain in the thalamus called the habenula, And the habenula basically has two jobs that we know of so far. One is to detect failure. So it's very active on fMRI when you have, when you perceive that you've failed. Mm-hmm. And then the second job it has is to basically dereg- or downregulate your Motivation if you perceive failure. And so it's the, you know. Part of the brain that keeps us from touching the stove mm-hmm. over and over again, but in this case, when we try to change our behavior, it is the worst thing for us because, you yeah. know, there's there's so many people who have tried things and they've gotten a lot of success, and then suddenly one day they stop doing them, um, and and it's very subconscious because you know you don't always know that you've incurred a habenula hit, so to speak. And so what it sounds like is if you're talking with a patient or you're talking with somebody and they said, oh yeah, I used to, you know, bike every day to work last year and do yoga and eat right. And, and then you say, well, what happened? And, th- and they said, I don't know, mm. you know? So that's the perfect sort of telltale of a habanula that got hit somewhere along the lines because that person had some expectation or per- perception in their mind that they failed at some part of that. Maybe they didn't do it perfectly or maybe they. They skipped a day or two days and then they just lost all motivation without even knowing mm. it you know it's very subconscious so
0: those are a way we can elevate that i, I guess that fo- follow-on question is how do we break that cycle
1: the the follow-on is you know we you know I must change our mindset the the iterative mindset is at least the most powerful thing that I have found to really counteract or steer around this habenula machinery. Right. And, and so if I, if I think I am just going to iterate when I reach an obstacle of some kind or a challenge of some kind, then I never fail. Mm. You know, iterators never fail. Mm-hmm. They never hit ground. And so it's this buoyancy, it's this resilience that just kind of you know gets them to keep going and 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 my most recent realization is that in this country you know what if we don't have an obesity epidemic what if we don't have chronic disease epidemics what if what we have is a quit trying epidemic mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and so the iterative mindset is the means by which at least one and and the only one i've found uh that just keeps you going and
0: going and going got it got it that's fabulous Well, you know, our theme for this year's Connected Health Conference is designing for healthy habits and better outcomes. One of the reasons that I picked up the phone very early on and asked you to come on board because that's really what your, the last at least recent phase of your career has been really about. So let's talk for a minute about how design can improve an individual's approach to developing healthful habits and avoid the failure traps. Uh, Again, during our last conversation, you are advocating that the starting point for design thinking needs to be empathy. Can you please share with the listeners your thoughts on the anatomy of and physiology of behavior change and remind our listeners why you feel that an empathetic mindset is so important
1: yeah, and and even even another another partner to empathy, compassion, uh, because they do have different channels, uh, different neural networks uh, that they operate from in the brain. Uh, which is, you know, basically, if you don't have compassion for yourself, if you don't have empathy for yourself, the you're not going to go anywhere because you're going to immediately think that you have failed. You're going to be really hard on yourself in your head. Um, We all face this. We, we have a uh, childhoods or society or whatever it is really get that into our heads that we have to be uh, right, we have to be perfect, we have to try hard, we have to do all these things and when we don't do that and we don't have a compassion mechanism to really reassure ourselves, then we just, you know, go into habanula mode and we quit. And so I really feel that the basis for all behavior change is having at least one mechanism in there to remind ourselves or to practice that self-compassion. You know, a lot of it's mental, you know, a lot of our health is mental, whether whether it's that we've got a genetic disease, but then there's a huge mental component you know most really difficult diseases have a uh, <clears throat> mental health depression stress you know those kinds of things and so the more we can have compassion for ourselves the more gentle that experience is going to be and the least the less suffering we, c- we can have so that's my interest is just to reduce suffering across the board mm-hmm. at scale
0: It's really interesting yeah, it's a little bit different than what we grew up on, where you kind of were told that you had to be a bit hard on yourself to succeed. So it's it's really fascinating to sort of pick that apart and, and think through with you how, what that means. Yeah.
1: And that, and that works, you know. I mean, certainly in medical school, I had this realization when I was 24 years old, the first day of class, realizing, oh... We're from all over the world. We're from all kinds of backgrounds. But the one thing we have in common is that we all flog ourselves to do these extraordinary things. Yeah, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah so true. That's all
1: we have in common.
0: <laughs> You've also described the single most important factor in sustained behavior change. Tell us uh, about that.
1: Yeah, so, you know, the the single most important favor, uh, uh, factor is this kind of practice and iteration uh, that is basically to strokes of the engine under mindset. So if you think of it as a triangle, the iterative mindset is kind of the top of the peak. And then these, the base of the triangle is practice and iteration. And, and what I have found so far is that that methodology that that approach to behavior change is a lot more sustainable. You find it in everybody who gets themselves to do something long term and to a person I haven't found a single person who has gotten themselves to do something long term who didn't use practice and what I mean by that is an experimental mindset. They approach what they're trying to do as a practice much like you practice a sport or yoga or something like that. And they see it as an experiment. So it's a little lot more lighthearted than uh, what we currently use. And I'll, I'll get to that in a second. And then the iteration we spoke of a few minutes ago, which is, you know, when I come up to any sort of pressure, tension, disruption, I'm going to iterate. I'm going to tweak it. I'm going to tinker it with it. I'm going to make it fit. Um, and, and and that's part of the experimentation um, that I'm bringing. So that is everlasting. That's evergreen. No, no one, no one stops with that formula. Now contrast that to goals and tracking. Mm -hmm. So most things these days are goals and tracking. What we don't realize is that goals came over from, you know, kind of a business practice in the 1940s, 1950s was imported into healthcare I don't know how it's, it's not really known. It hasn't been documented that I know of. And then it kind of became this thing, right? And if you think about it, the people who brought that in were highly accomplished and highly educated in the domain of health. Mm -hmm. And so goals really do work for experts. They do. If, you know, we, we have this, um, wonderful athlete out here, Steph Curry, who, uh, plays for the golden state warriors. And if you tell Steph Curry, do that faster. Your, your goal is to cut this much time off your, off your, you know, drill. He will do it mm-hmm. right. Because he's such a high performing person, yeah. um, in that domain, but, you know, give him something else, uh, you know, as interpretive dance <laughs> or, or abstract art or something like that, you know, the, where he's not well-versed and goals can have the risk, have the side nasty side effect of backfiring, through the habenula, right? Because there might be this subconscious expectation that you Uh, trigger off unknowingly. Right. So, so right now we have this goals and tracking standard and what I think should be the standard bearer is practice and iteration and iterative mindset instead. And I invite the industry to really think about this because, you know, tracking and goals are really great in certain circumstances, but it's almost like having a short acting medication that you're giving for a long, long acting or a long, uh, you know, recalcitrant situation, right? It's just it's going to work for a little while, and then it's going to you'll know, burn out the treatment option.
0: So I, I'm I'm thinking about this because I've been such a goal-oriented person my whole life, and I I uh, it it is very much ingrained in my methodology of success. But even if mm-hmm. you're doing so, go with me here. Even if you're doing the iterative mindset, iteration, and practice, you still have a high-level goal of some sort, yes?
1: Yeah, I would say that, you know, you have that intention, right? You know, you, you want to you get somewhere, you kind
0: of want to move something mm-hmm. somewhere. Yeah, yeah,
1: that's right. You've got that kind of, you know, drive. Um, and that's okay. You know, I, I think the problem is that the word goal, unfortunately, has become so synonymous with, uh, you know, measurable, yeah. Uh, yeah. specific, time-bound, all, that, know, time bound, yeah. all yeah. that kind of stuff. And, And that's, again, that's great. What you're talking about is if goals are working for you, that is an area where you've got a ton of confidence um, and you've got a lot of track record of uh, accomplishments and success in that domain, whether it's, you know, running your area or, uh, you know, as a physician, those kinds of things. But I, what, name an area where if I could completely freak you out by asking you to yeah, do it. Yeah,
0: yeah, sure. I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, the other thing that we sometimes do. Was when we're goal setting. In fact, my my boss does this all the time. He said, set, "Set some goals that you probably won't achieve. Set some stretch goals, and then if you don't achieve them, you're not going to get marked down. But if you're at the end of the year, if your goal set is all green from achieving them, then you didn't aim hard not High enough. So there's there's some com, I think con, consistency in the thinking, even if we if we label it differently.
1: Yeah, that's right. That 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 way out is important. That's part of the that, iterative part. You know, yeah. And, and a little bit of compassion, yeah. you know, because he's saying you're not gonna be marked down just, and he's, he could go further right. and say, you know, have some sort of ritual by which you're compassionate to yourself in some way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that even though, you know, we don't get punished for it externally, we might punish ourselves internally. You know, we're so sneaky like that. And I so,
0: yeah.
1: uh, I think, you know, you can never go far enough it's with
0: really that. interesting. The, the the parallels between some of the other speakers in this whole area of it's okay, it's okay to fail, it's okay to, you don't have to be so hard on yourself. That's really interesting. So we're delighted to have you join us uh, as a keynoter. That's the reason for this podcast series is we're, we're highlighting all of our keynoters. I, I'm really thrilled. Uh, and part of what we wanna do uh, on this interview is have you give our listeners a a, a or snapshot of what you're gonna be talking about.
1: Yeah, so I'm going to be telling a story of how I arrived at the habit science, uh, larder of habit science, and what that says to us for designing things that change behavior in ourselves or others, whatever the audience may be into. And I want to do it through the lens of the software we've been building with Walmart Mm -hmm. for the last several years, because we recently found that we could uh, cause health outcomes with mindset alone. And I'm I'm gonna stop there because I don't, don't want to give away it the away, hook yeah. and, and, oh wow. Yeah, well, I'm exactly. gonna show up for sure. But 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 definitely it's it's the most significant finding of my career. And I've done, you know, bench science, cancer research. I've you know helped with uh, prison recidivism, you know, accomplished that, uh, large scale intervention design. And this is, Joe, the most satisfying and amazing discovery that I have run across yeah. in in all this
0: time. I, I don't want to. Um, how do I say this? Because I my in my way, I guess I'll say it this way, my way of viewing the world and thinking, I'm not surprised that you found that outcome. I'm sure it's very countercultural. It reminds <laughs> me of when we did a little experiment some years back with teenagers with asthma and Facebook. And all we wanted to get them to do was fill out the asthma control test. So we, we, we created a private Facebook group. Again, the goal was to get the kids to fill out the survey, but putting them in a Facebook group with other asthma kids, their asthma got better. They all improved. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. we, we just don't give, as you would say, we don't give our brains enough credit for the amount of power that they have.
1: Yep absolutely people have so much power in them and and really our job is to remove every barrier that we can think of to release them you know yeah. release them from their suffering release them from their uh can't do right you know feelings yeah yep.
0: Yeah. Yeah. that's what I spend a lot of time mentoring I'm sure you do as well and that's what I spend a lot of energy on is trying to talk people out of uh, apologizing for themselves and things like that. <laughs> it's a real well, sickness. Well,
1: hopefully, hopefully we'll make some progress. That sounds you know? like it. And,
0: you're you're going to tell and us how. the
1: tools how. are coming. Yeah, the tools are coming.
0: Well, the other thing I'm asking all of uh, my interviewees this time around, it has to do with, with, uh, your vision for the, for the field and, and what you see coming in the future. I've got, uh, uh, so many different responses to that, that of course, but they all knit together. So you, uh, with your career, have always been looking out ahead. What do you see is coming up? What are the trends? How's, how are things going to change in the next few years?
1: I don't know where the field is going, but I know what I want to do to it. Um, <laughs> what I want to do to it is I want everybody to think in terms of a behavior or a habit because there's different it's, – it's much like when – Back in the day when we first started understanding bacteria, you know, mm. history of medicine, uh, there and we didn't know there was gram-positive and gram-negative mm-hmm. bacteria or aerobic or anaerobic bacteria. So I feel like we're at that place with behavior change <laughs> where we have to discriminate between, am I wanting a single behavior here or a group of single behaviors, much like a discharge list, right? That's, yeah. a, that's a group of behaviors versus a habit uses very different parts of the brain, very different science, very different design. And that means that you've got your target in habit design is mindlessness. Mm -hmm. And this is where we kind of coming full circle here because mindlessness is now the new mindfulness, yeah, right? Uh, Because unless you get it to the point of, you could tie your shoe or you could take your medication it's that mindless yeah it's that it's that embedded in your sense of me Yep. right your your self-image such that you feel weird not doing it that that that's that's the destination that's why you know all this goals and tracking and stuff like that doesn't get us there it doesn't get us to that mindlessness unless you explicitly train the brain to do that thing and put it there yeah uh it you know The brain will work with us because the brain wants everything to be on autopilot, right? Mm -hmm. So, so working with the brain and not against it uh, to get that mindless to that mindless state—that's what I want the industry to focus on. That's what I want them to start creating things around, and um, so that we're more effective.
0: Well, I think that's a goal we should all be able to get behind. It 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 does. uh, One of the things that that really resonated with with your analogy about bacteria, because I've been saying now for some time that it's interesting in this space that the marketing people know how to do certain things really well, they know how to get us to buy things. The psychologists have a certain view, the behavioral economists have a certain view, but I don't see people getting together and learning from one another in this behavior change space. I see a lot of almost Tower of Babel type of activity. And so what mm. you're saying is, is really important and we, we need to get the word out
1: good. No, I, I, that's why I, I, I always, you know, kind of feel bad about being a Jackal, Jacqueline of all trades. Um, but it's, uh, it it helps me to really not get so caught up in one particular domain of, uh, of research. I get really excited about things. Um, this is cool. That's cool. But I think like you, I like to sit more meta, across a lot of different silos yeah. and be a unifier and try to find uh, help people find patterns.
0: Yes, yes. Well, yeah. uh, I'm also asking everyone, is there something you wish I'd have asked you? Is there a question you thought I should bring up? Is there something else you want to tell our listeners?
1: No, I, I, think, I think you covered it all. I mean, certainly my passion is... Pretty high right now. Uh, given this, I'm excited about this keynote. I am, you know, I'm excited about just sharing what I think is a really key insight for people to help them with their work.
0: Yes, so well,
1: that's really it. We're
0: really looking forward to it. Thank you again for joining us in October. Thanks for joining us today. I just want to remind everyone again that we we're expecting to see all of you in, uh at the Seaport Hotel in or Seaport World Trade Center in Boston, October 16th through the 18th for the 2019 Connected Health Conference. And Kyra will be there and she will be leading the way in terms of uh, informing us all and enlightening us. So thank you again, Kyra, for being on today.
1: My extreme pleasure. Thank you.
0: Bye bye. Thanks for listening to Well Connected with Dr. Joe Kavita. A special thanks from me personally to Tony McMillan, our engineer, and Lynn Josephson, our senior marketing manager for putting this series together. If you enjoyed our show and want to know more, visit our website at partners.org forward slash Connected Health, all one word. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Connected Health. For more episodes of our series, search Partners Connected Health on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever else, you listen to podcasts.